Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, October 5th edition of the Basement Academy. So glad that you've taken a few minutes out of your day to hear a psalm and hopefully pray along with that psalm as I read it. And uh, and to th- let me think out loud with you, and this week in particular, uh, thinking some things about ordination. Uh, shared with you yesterday, the 29th anniversary of my ordination as a Presbyterian minister. Let's begin with the psalm. Psalm 65, it tells us that it is a song, uh, a psalm of David. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders, where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Mm, Love this psalm the call upon God's people. (laughs) Oh, you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. All people will come. And then this, blessed are those you choose and bring near to to live in your house, dwell in your courts, your holy temple. And so this blessing of the, the called community, right? We've talked about that. We're called out the church. And then this, hope of all the ends of the earth, this, this kind of global image. Those living far away fear your wonder. So we see this power of God in creation and the turmoil of the nations that he quiets down. And then this last image of the bounty of the harvest. You crown the year with your bounty. Love it, love it, love it. It's a gentle um, psalm. It feels like a harvest psalm, a thanksgiving psalm. Um, And so again, love praying the psalms daily. Uh, Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. And so I reflected a little bit yesterday that 29 years ago I took the ordination vows and became a Presbyterian minister. I mentioned also that I am still a bit of a reluctant pastor. I came into it reluctantly, not anticipating. I went to seminary to study, to grow, to deepen, but was thinking maybe more teach and coach in a Christian school or something. Wasn't thinking 
so much about being a pastor. And then God began to work, read Eugene Peterson. And then I had a conversation with my college pastor, Skip Ryan, whom I hadn't seen in a while, but was back attending the ordination of um, one of my college roommates who was being ordained uh, in the Presbyterian Church in America. So, you know, came on back to, to Charlottesville and was talking to Skip about, you know, thinking about ordination, not sure do I go the Trinity route, which was the Presbyterian Church in America, a little more conservative um, um, denomination, or the PCUSA, which was at still pretty conservative, but it did ordain women, and the PCA did not ordain women. So, you know, there was a little denominational distinctive. It's a much wider gap now, and that's probably a conversation for another day. Um, but Skip made this statement that I have heard several times since, and I've actually used, Don, if you can do anything else, go do it. I mean, only go into the ministry if you have to do it. If there's like this inner compulsion, <laughs> I must do this thing. You know, I've got an engineering degree. I think I talked about that. Um, you know, I've got interest and aptitudes probably in several areas, uh, but by God's grace, I, I perceive. But there was something that began to emerge in me. I think I have to do this. And so I don't want anything I say today or any other day this week and perhaps even next to be construed as anything other than that I love what I do. I love this calling. I love being a pastor, despite its challenges. <laughs> okay. Um, friend of mine, uh, talked about, I think it's, here he is, John Hess right here, my little buddy hanging over my shoulder. <laughs> hey, John, thank you. He would talk, um, in fact, he sent me, uh, he sent me a text last night. I, I just read it this morning. He always remembers my ordination anniversary. God bless him. Um, a sweet, a gentle, sweet soul and, and great colleague. Um, he talked about having this front row seat on the glory. John was the associate pastor for pastoral care uh, at First Pres Boulder, where I was the pastor for spiritual formation and discipleship, kind of focusing in on that Christian ed world. Um, John did a lot of the visitation, a lot of the funerals. Just he was there at the hospitals, uh, in the homes a lot. Big, big church. And so kind of it was uh, different departments. <clears throat> and John would talk about this front row seat we get we get invited in. We have access to people's lives uh, in, in the, the, the glorious moments. You know, we get to go visit after a baby's been born and we're greeting and celebrating with the family. We're there for the baptisms, the weddings, the premarital counseling, just, you know, as love is forming and a calling around family life is, is forming and taking shape. We also are there at end of life. You know, we're visiting um, the bereaved as folks are nearing death. Um, this, this, um, this access we have to where so much is going on, where God is working in people's lives when, when people are struggling and they're hurting and they're broken and they're confused. Many will seek, you know, counsel with a pastor and we get to be where creation is happening. New creation is happening. There's often chaos as a part of that, Right 
just like in the beginning in Genesis 1, it's, it's a formless void and the spirit is hovering and then out of all that chaos and nothingness, let there be light, right? And so new life explodes and people work their way through their grief and their pain and their confusion. And we get, as ministers, we're in on that. And so I love that image, uh, having the front row seat on the glory. Uh, when I was ordained at uh, Halstead Presbyterian Church 29 years ago, I had a, a vague notion of what I was supposed to be about that I'd picked up in seminary and in some readings and along the way. And some of my reluctance is because I had a notion of what I was supposed to be about and what pastoring was. And there was some of that that I found myself, ah, I don't know if I want to do that, you know. But what I discovered, didn't anticipate, duh, but now, 29 years later, I've observed everywhere and observed nearly every week. <laughs> People have an expectation or an understanding of what they think I'm supposed to be doing. I have a sense of what I'm supposed to be doing, but pastoring, I have learned, bumps into the expectations of others as to what I'm supposed to be doing. I didn't anticipate that. I don't know why, because it's probably true in every vocation, but you know, you think, oh, you know, somebody's a civil engineer. Okay, go build bridges. And I don't think anything more about a civil engineer. Okay. <laughs> Just build the bridges, build the highways, make it work, right? Make, make them strong and make them last. Lawyers, maybe we do have some expectation. They're supposed to, you know, help us out in a pinch and don't do it for too much money, right? You know, but pastoring, I have found there's a host of expectations. People, they know what I'm supposed to do. And, some, and when I do that, but when I don't do that, they're like, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Okay. So what I have learned is there are in the American church and in the churches I've served, there's, there's a, a host of expectations and understandings. The pastor is CEO, setting the vision, setting the goals, setting the objectives, leading the charge. The pastor is entrepreneur, the one who is maybe in a smaller, so CEO might be in a larger institutional, the culture is set and inherited. The CEO comes along, works with the board of elders and, you know, we march, we go. The entrepreneur is more of a church planting model. We want you to, you know, brand and market and initiate and develop programs and take the initiative, make things happen. Often church planters, those who don't want an inherited culture, they, they want to do their own thing. Entrepreneurs want to kind of, I've got the vision of what I'm about and I'm going to go gather people around that vision. I don't want to inherit a culture at a church. I'm going to go make a culture at the church. So it's an entrepreneurial model, kind of, a lot of take a lot of initiative. Um, uh, you've got the Joel Osteen model, as it were, of pastoring. Typically, it's more of a mega church thing, right? Um, where the, the pastor's kind of the entertainer, kind of the MC, kind of the host, kind of the pretty face. There's no Joel Osteen here, right? <laughs> Don't have enough hair. <laughs> um, 
the they've talked at our presbytery about the pastor as activist, the pastor as organizer, community organizer, mobilize the local congregation to go meet some need in the community. There's injustice, there's a need, there's a mission field, there's advocacy. And so the, the minister sees the congregation as the people who are going to help show up at the protest, help show up at the city hall, help show up to, you know, do the work. Um, Pastor as chaplain is a, is a strong model, certainly in our Presbyterian churches. And the three churches I've served have all had, um, and I want to say this well, a mature population in them. Okay. By that, I mean folks who were born in their 20s, 30s. You know, and nobody, well, you could have somebody born in the late 20s right now, but they're pretty old, right? Okay. They're, they're, they're in their 90s. And we do have some folks. Um, Carolyn Faith just turned 100 years old, right? Um, but, you know, folks born in the 30s and 40s came of age, you know, started going to church in the 30s and 40s and 50s and have an understanding of the pastor as kind of the chaplain who engages in home visitation, who's there when we need them, you know, make a call. Can you stop by for a visit? Can you pray with us, pastor? I don't fight any of this, but I'm just observing that's its own model, right? The pastor's chaplain, a lot of hospital visitation, a lot of home visitation, um, you know, as much outside the, the, the church building and the office as inside, you know, maybe even more outside, uh, involved in the community, rotary and the like, you know, um, making the invocation at the school baccalaureate, making the invocation uh, for the, the town council and like, so that's kind of the chaplain model. Um, uh, pastor therapist, um, help us feel good about ourselves, uh, both in the counseling office, but also from the pulpit. So, speak to us an encouraging word, help us feel good. Um, you know, not necessarily pep talks, but, but the therapeutic community is about relieving human anxiety, personal anxiety, helping us feel good. Pastor as spiritual advisor kind of maybe intersects with that as well. Pastor as preacher, Whenever uh, folks at Greenwich or the other churches or in the community folks will call me preacher, I almost always assume they've come out of a Baptist church, maybe Methodist, um, where there's a lot of emphasis on the pastor preaching the gospel for salvation and maybe making an altar call. But that's just that, that model is the pastor's the preacher, okay? And I certainly think about that as well. Um, I have found these tendencies, um, uh, Peterson, Eugene Peterson wrote about this, and I've certainly found this to be true in my own life. The tendency uh, for pastor to be either Messiah or manager. If we sense a need in a person, we move towards them as Messiah, okay? There's something in us that find satisfaction when we're the one who helps meet the person's need. There, there's something just often strong and affirming and joyful that I have when I say something or do something that helps a person 
live better, right? You know, it, it meets their need. But that's a tendency to be the Messiah, to be the one to, to rescue them in the midst of their need, okay? And the deeper the need, sometimes the deeper the pastoral engagement, right? You know, because it's a needy person, a needy family, and you move in that direction. The other tendency is when you sense health, you know, somebody moves to town and they get involved in the church and everything's kind of checks out, you know, their marriage is strong, you know, they're doing well, they just found a great church and want to be part of us. Then you go, ah, I'm going to get you a slot on the organization chart. You could be an elder, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader. And so where we sense need, we become Messiah. Where we sense health and strength, we become manager. And we fall into these two models a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I, I'm all of those things and I'm none of those things as pastor. Yeah, I'm CEO, I'm chaplain, I'm entertainer. You know, I strum my guitar. And so there's, I, I fear that sometimes when I play the guitar that it, it's more just me putting on a show and I don't want that. Um, so I, I'm all of these things, but I don't want to be any of them in, in some ways. Because I sense the pastoral calling wraps mostly around this little kind of, di I don't know if dichotomy is not the right word, but this tension. We often talk about pastoral care, okay? So that, that again ties back to maybe the chaplain role. Pastoral care is, you know, coming alongside folks in their grief and their loss and their struggle and their confusion in their disappointment. Life beats us up and the pastor's there to kind of accompany. And so we talk about caring for people which often implies emotional sympathy and compassion and kindness. Um, listening, which is certainly uh, cr crucial. But what I've observed over the years is some folks like that attention from the pastor. And so present the needs, but maybe always aren't working towards overcoming the need. I'm not sure exactly how to say this well. Um, if we sense that there's an, an unwellness, a lack of wellness, somebody's hurting and sick and broken and at loss, okay, well, there's sympathy and there's support. Let's bring the meals. Let's, let's, let's listen. Let's care. But then, do you want to get better? And so Jesus, in some of his, his stories, right? The man begging, the man, you know, blind. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. I want to walk. Okay, your life's going to change when that happens. <laughs> you're not going to be able to have all the sympathy of the community. And, you know, you're not going to beg and live off of the, the kindness of others. You're going to have to get up and take responsibility. And I have found over time... There are some, it's, it's in us all, there's something in all of us that, that likes being a little broken, likes being a little needy, likes being a little victim. You know, you're not going to believe what happened to me this time, okay? It's that tendency that we all have, right? Um, there's a distinction between care and where the, the original root of that word is cure. Cure has to do with healing and restoration and getting well, 
and so um, there, there's a line uh, from a T.S. Eliot poem, teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to care and not to care. Obviously, teach us to care. Teach us to be sympathetic and kind and gracious. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there's that. But teach us not to care. Let us not be so engaged with this work, both as pastors or just as people, that we, I guess the the therapeutic language would be enable them in their unwellness. That's hard work. That, that teaches to care and not to care, oh Lord. Teach us to be present and to, and to listen and to support and to be tender and kind. But teach us how not to get in the way of what you might want to be doing in somebody's life, God. We hurt because of the fall. We hurt because of sin. Not always directly our own sin, sometimes the sin of others, and sometimes just the vague reality of sin in the world, that there's brokenness and sin and disease and and loss and and grief and tumult, (laughs) injustice, right? And, And so sometimes our anxiety is the clue that we need to get better. We need to pay attention to God. There, there's things that we need to pay attention to in our lives. And if we are just caring for people and just, oh, you are, they have treated you so poorly. I can't believe that they said that to you. How dare they? Now, now, now. There, there, there. And sometimes that, okay, that's teaching it. That's the care, Right. But that might be enabling. Sometimes it's like, well, it ain't going to change anytime soon. That's how your family is, right? Or that's how your boss is. Or that's how your kids are. What are you going to (laughs) do? Right? And so letting, kind of being that person, you know, who says, well, you want to get up and walk? (laughs) And so it's hard work, but I see myself somewhere in that teaches to care, not to care. I think of myself. So I, I, the, the, the tools at my, at my, um, kind of at my ready, uh, in the tool belt here, I'm a minister of word and sacrament. Really all I got is words. And I, and I try to have my words from the pulpit, certainly, and in conversation, be shaped by these words, by truth, by the truth of who God is, by the truth of who we are, made in the image of God, but fallen and broken, blessed and, and burdened by, by those Genesis realities. And so word, I speak. And sometimes I try not to speak. <laughs> sometimes I'll ask questions. I wonder what God's doing here. I wonder why this continues to persist. Even though you've been at it for so long, you still struggle with this. I wonder what else might be going on. Now, not everybody may like when I ask those questions because those gently begin to move towards some accountability. 
they move towards, I think they're intended to move towards the cure, but I don't necessarily have the cure. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's Jesus, but I'm not the Messiah. I want to accompany. So I see myself, uh, sometimes I'll talk about being at like a Sherpa, right? You know, the guide up the mountain. I'm just a Sherpa. I'm carrying equipment and stuff, you know, but I'm really here coming alongside this person, this family, this couple, this situation. And I'm just invited in. I've got the front row seat, right? I'm invited in. But while I'm there, I'm, I'm going to try to listen and discern and I try to ask some questions. I wonder what God might be doing in this situation. And then I'll say, what are you praying about these days? How, how are your prayers informed by God's word? What, what are you reading right now? And then when I hear people say, well, I'm not reading the Bible and I'm not praying, I hear that and I go, I wonder if that would be helpful. You know, and I try to be as curious. I, I, I wonder, I, I try to say that a lot. I wonder, I wonder if this might be an opportunity to, to, that God may be trying to draw you closer to himself and the pain becomes the opportunity. It's a challenge, but this is that James counted all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds, you know? And so I'll try to tell stories. I'll try to remind of Jesus, you know, but in that moment, I've got word, sacrament, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper particularly is so critical, but I'll try to remind people of their baptismal identity. You're set apart. God is present to you. God pledged to be with you. You don't feel God with you now, but it doesn't mean God isn't with you now. Your feelings are not a reliable indicator of truth. And so I try to, in that conversation, help them understand that, oh, you're overwhelmed by your feelings, but your feelings are not necessarily the Holy Spirit. A lot of us get confused on that. I feel God wants me to, okay, well, how do you know God wants you to? Talk to me more about that. What scriptures have been guiding you? Well, I'm not reading the Bible, but I feel God wants, oh, 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 oh. Well, you know, as I read scripture, you know, and I'll try to do that. So word, sacrament, baptismal identity, the Lord's Supper, you know, Jesus enters into our brokenness with us. That's what communion is. It's it's not the 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 badge of honor communion isn't for the the well you know the the perfect the holy it's for the broken is <laughs> those who have needs and so you know invite folks into the to the communion table as it were a prayer and presence i i i i pray i say i will pray with you i'm not a therapist i say that all the time i am not a therapist i'm not a trained counselor i'm a pastor i'll accompany you in this journey and i will pray for you I'll pray with you and I'll talk to you about how to pray. And then almost always I get, eventually I'll, I'll try to have a conversation with someone about praying the Psalms. Have you ever heard about praying the Psalms? You know, I'll point them to, I mean, in recent, this year I've pointed people to the Basement Academy, you know, studies on the Psalms. And then my own presence. I just try to be a human being with them. And this is where, I start to depart from traditional models of the pastor, I think. We're, we're advised and we're counseled, you know, to keep that professional front, you know. Don't get too close to people. Don't become friends. I mean, literally, I've been, our 
presbytery says, do not become friends with anybody in your congregation because when you leave, you know, it's going to hurt both you and them. Okay. I don't, then maybe that's why I was reluctant to be a pastor is I don't want to be a stuffed shirt. <laughs> I don't want to be a suit. I don't want to be a robe. I, I absolutely want to be professional. I want to be thoughtful. I want to be mature. I want to be wise, but I'm going to weep with those who weep. And I'm going to rejoice whoop, whoop, with those who rejoice. I'm going to be as human as I know how. I don't know any other way to be. And um, I'm thankful for Greenwich. I'm thankful for First Presbyterian Boulder. I'm thankful for Halstead Presbyterian uh, and Eastminster prior to that when I was a youth director that have let me be that pastor that person. Um, have I always gotten it right? Absolutely not. Uh, horribly wrong, I, I'm sure, in countless, countless times where I've maybe tried to be a little too, you know, trying to be too human, as it were, and tell a story of my own life that, again, you know, counselors and therapists aren't to talk, supposed to talk, don't talk about yourself at all. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us and there was a humanity in Jesus. And I learned early on from Young Life Ministry and other youth ministries, the incarnational principle of ministry. You need to be human in front of them. Be a human witness to Jesus Christ. And so, you know, being being present in that way. So so I guess the 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 term that Eugene Peterson introduced to me in that, um, sorry, I'm not talking to the microphone here, spiritual director, which is kind of wonky, but not the pastor as CEO or entrepreneur or entertainer or any of these, but the pastor as spiritual director accompanying people to help them find wellness and wholeness and maturity in Christ, that, that, that our lives would be put back together so ultimately, that's what I'm moving towards. As much as I engage in all of these kind of roles and activities, at the heart of it, I want to see us conformed and, and made into the image of Christ. I think that's what God's doing, is, is trying to bring about Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit. And so I just am always trying to angle in that direction through the preaching, through the teaching, through the conversation, even through the leading and the committee work. You know, we do a lot of praying. You know, I'll tell you, take, take, take that little piece of paper that represents the thing and let's lay our hands on it and pray that God's will be done and so I'm trying to teach a way to pray through our administrative work. So I'll talk more about that in days to come. So anyway, let me stop here. I think this is enough for today. Uh, thank you. If you've endured to the end here, God bless you. Um, uh, for indulging uh, some self-disclosure here. So let, let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for the gentle ways in which you have cared for us through the pastors in our lives. I uh, thank you for those whom you've shepherded uh, me through. And by your grace, uh, may I offer and others offer shepherding care uh, uh, for Greenwich and, and others who may be listening. Lord, uh, lead us uh, to a deeper um, knowledge and experience of Jesus Christ, 
our Lord and Savior, the one uh, in whose name we pray and, and through whose name we live. And hear us as we pray in his name as he taught us, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, may he draw close to you. May you hear his voice this day and forevermore. Amen.